This episode of the Old Soul, New Soul Astrology Podcast is brought to you by the Fun Astrology 101 course. If you'd like to learn the language of astrology in a fun and easy way, go to funastrology.com and check out the 101 course. It's right there on the homepage. And welcome to the Old Soul, New Soul Podcast with Robert Glasscock. We have a real treat for you today because... Robert has developed a technique that involves certain points in your chart where you can dial in the time that you were born, and I'm talking even down to the second, based on events in your life. So Robert, would you start explaining to us this rectification technique and what this is I, all about? <laughs> I will do my best, and thank you, Thomas. It's always a pleasure. This is a technique called rectification. All it means is... is trying to ensure that you have the most accurate time of birth that you can. And the reason that you do it is because later on you can set up a natal chart, but then when you begin to progress it or use solar arcs to make predictions from that chart, if the time of birth is off by even four minutes, it can throw the predictions off by one year. The reason being that every four minutes, roughly every four minutes of birth time, the degree on the ascendant changes. And so does the degree on the midheaven, the point overhead when you're born. So you cannot use this technique if you have no birth time at all. Mother's memory is notoriously bad. I don't care how much the mothers are convinced they know the time of birth. Just experience is taught not necessarily. Uh, so if you have no starting time at all, uh, you have nothing to, to begin from, really, uh, in which case I use something called a natural wheel, which begins with uh, it puts the sun on the ascendant. That's all. You, you calculate the chart for noon and then you place the sun on the ascendant and the rest of the planets around that. But if you do have a time of birth, <clears throat> then what you want to do is set the chart up for the time that's on the certificate or the best time of birth that you can get. And you look at the midheaven, which is the point directly overhead, and you simply move it forward and backward through the zodiac and note the aspects that it makes to the birth planets and note the number of degrees it takes the midheaven to make that aspect. And then you want to find a corresponding event that happened to the person at that age. So, for example, I gave you um, the indication of this uh, chemotherapist at UCLA that I read for. And the first question I ask, and his wife is sitting there on the sofa with us at their lovely home. And I said to him, I just want to check the birth time and see if this is, is accurate. When you were 10, did your father have an accident or injury to his head. And this doctor came up out of his chair. You know, he said, oh, my God, you're psychic. Yes, he did. I said, what happened? We were ice skating on a lake in Michigan, and he fell and had a brain concussion. And I said, were you nine? Were you 10? Were you 11? And he said, no, I was 10. And I, I moved beside him and said, look, I know you don't know anything about astrology, but you certainly know that the old god of war, Mars, rules war, Mars. 
It rules war, it rules surgery, it rules cutting, it rules fires, it rules accidents, and so on. And here it is in the sign of Aries, which in astrology is associated with the head and the brain. And look at the sector of the horoscope that it's in. It's down here in your fourth house, which very specifically rules the father. So I would have to ask, did your father have an accident or an injury to his head? At what age? Look here. Look directly above Mars in the fourth house. Look up here at the top of the chart in the 10th house. Do you see this point? That's the part of the zodiac that was directly overhead when you were born. Look at this. It's 10 degrees away from being exactly opposite this Mars by degree. Well, in astrology, one year equals, I mean, one degree equals one year. So 10 degrees equals 10 years. So at 10 years old, this opposition between your midheaven and your Mars is exact. And that's why I asked you about an injury to your father's head or brain at your age 10. So now you know, all right, you've hit one, you've hit one event that's dead on. And here's another reason you do this. You're not only trying to get as exact a time of birth as you can, but you're also, unbeknownst to the client, you're convincing them that astrology is accurate without trying to show off too much because that event nailed it. Now all you need to find is at least one other event because you've already nailed one. Move, keep moving that midheaven backward and forward in the zodiac to make other aspects and just read read the, the chart or read that aspect according to the house and the sign and so on that are involved and use that age arc. So when we rectified, say, Donald Trump's chart, uh, in, in the workshop, this webinar I did for Kepler College, his chart was off only by uh, one degree, by about four minutes. Because when you, when you move the midheaven, the point overhead where he was born, to age 2021, 20, it conjoined, I forget, I believe it was his son in Gemini. And that was the year that his father made him the president of Trump organization or, or something like, I forget the exact title, but it was like that, like president at that young age. Well, then you take that same midheaven and move it, what, 70 degrees for whatever age he was when he assumed the presidency. And you look to see if, if you can find an aspect that corresponds with that. Same with the United States chart. Um, I use the Sibley chart, and it's been rectified. It has 12 degrees Sag rising, and I've used it forever. The year that Donald Trump was inaugurated, uh, the natal midheaven in the United States chart had advanced in solar arcs by about 243 degrees, which means that, and the midheaven is the, the 10th cusp uh, house. So that, that house rules the king, the president, the ruler the 10th house. So here's the midheaven, which symbolizes the king or, or a, a position of status in society. In the United States chart had advanced 243 degrees around, and it had just entered the sign of Gemini, zero degrees Gemini, the midheaven, the sign of the ruler or the president of the United States had just entered Gemini basically on the day that he was inaugurated, which is stunning to me. And we inaugurated a Gemini president. So the idea that the United States, this chart I've used forever, and that's how accurate it is, that that degree overhead at birth 
happened to be exactly just ingressing into Gemini on the day that Donald Trump was elected. So it gives you a means to know that the horoscope is accurate. Mark Edmund Jones, in his book on, say, orary astrology, talks about when you do this technique, you're trying to assess the fine graining of the chart. Some charts are absolutely more clear than other than other charts. And in fact, the same will be true for the person's life. Their lives will tend to be a lot clearer and maybe less layered or less complicated than, than other people's lives. But that's the technique. Linda Goodman first showed that to me. And, and I love Linda because she was a quadruple Aries. And I have my moon in Aries, so I like Aries women. And, and she was direct and to the point, and she liked to do it fast. So she made everything. She would say, oh, rectify a chart, piece of cake. All you do is just move the midheaven back and forth to make aspects and read the aspects and make sure they're right. And if you need to change the midheaven by a degree or two, change it and then try the new midheaven and just move it back and forth and make new aspects and see if it works. That's all. <laughs> so she made it sound like any kid in kindergarten could do this. Well, you can with practice. <laughs> you just have to yes. have a few readings under your belt. All right, let's qualify a couple of things here now. Let me pick this apart. So let's go back to your – first of all, when you say, and she said, move your midheaven, you're talking about that figuratively in your mind, right? Not on specifically on the chart. Would you clarify that? Well, yeah, it's a mental exercise. So let's say, for example, I have 28 degrees on my midheaven. At birth. So I'm just mentally going, all right, it's at 28 degrees. Uh, here's something I see. I see it's going to go 28, 29 Libra, and then it's going to go into zero Scorpio. And I have Venus at four Scorpio in my 10th house. So that's basically age six. That's six degrees from 28 Libra to four Scorpio. That midheaven would conjoin my Venus in my 10th. So funnily enough, I would ask this person, at age six, did you begin to express any kind of artistic or musical or theatrical talents? Venus in the 10th, you see. And the answer would be, why, yes. We moved into a new house in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And instantly, my parents bought a piano, an upright. My dad had put himself through LSU with his own band. He played trumpet. And I started taking piano lessons at age six. Not only age six, I also started taking art lessons from a woman I've never forgotten, Thomas, named Mrs. Mayberry who was kind of twisted and handicapped. I don't know. She probably had rheumatoid arthritis. She could drive her car because it was a specially rigged car. And she taught art to children. And I will never forget one Saturday, I showed up for art classes and I was the only kid to show up. So she said, I'll tell you what, let's go out to the park. And we drove out to a park and began to sketch the ducks on the water. I was So she was teaching me art alone. So look at that. At age six, already, I was involved in the arts, which, of course, became my career. Now you're, Ven go, go ahead. You're talking about here 
times that are accurate. So you were verifying the the gentleman in Los Angeles, the surgeon. Um, you were rectifying or you were verifying his chart was accurate. Yours is accurate. What do you do if that midheaven lines up? But let's say instead of in his case, in the surgeon's case, instead of him being 10 when that event happened, what if the time was such that he was 12? It indicated it at 12. And so now you're asking him, at age 12, did you have something happen? And he says, no, it was at age 10. There you go. Then you mentally adjust that midheaven by two degrees or whatever it takes to make that. And then using that new midheaven mentally again, you try that new midheaven and uh, use it, move it forward and back to make aspects. And generally what happens, Thomas, if, for example, if your first question is right about the event, but wrong about the age, and you mentally adjust this midheaven to account for that and then try that new midheaven, the second question you ask about should be right on the age or, or within within half a year or so of it. You have to give a little leeway. But uh, that usually is what happens if you're off by a year or two or three or more. Uh, the first time, if you adjust it mentally and then try a new aspect, that one will be accurate. And let, let me tell you an instance. I had a, a dear friend in L.A., a guy that I had read for <clears throat> before. He was a Cancerian. And I remember telling him in Los Angeles, I said, not only were you not born at this time of day, you weren't even born on this day. And he said, what? And I said, you were born after midnight on the next day. And I gave him the time. Never, ever thinking, you know, that anything else would ever be heard from again. And then years later, living in Cripple Creek with Linda. And I wasn't living with Linda in that way. Uh, but living in her house in Cripple Creek. I got a phone call from this guy. He's coming into Colorado Springs. He'd love to see me. I haven't seen him for years. So I drive down to Cripple Creek and meet this guy. And he says, I want to show you something interesting. And he pulls out his birth certificate, which he had finally found a copy of. And son of a gun, astrology was right. Wow. <laughs> now, that's the only time something like that's ever happened. To wow. Me. But yeah, it it really hit home. I thought, yeah, see, once again, you know, that's why I've never left astrology. Once I got into it by having this stupid invisible scar on my left cheek, it hooked me with that. Every year of my life up to this day, it still delivers. It well, still amazes me. I would can do that. I would imagine if people who don't know of you or know of your work have heard the first episode and then the second episode, and now they're hearing this, they have to be drawn in. This is not your typical how an Aries eats pizza that you see on TikTok <laughs> these days. <laughs> Sorry, folks. We're way on down the road from that. Okay, let's talk about the kinds of events you're looking for. They can be really any type of event. For example, again, I just I'm thinking about uh, about my own chart. Uh, what you want to do, for example, when you move the midheaven backward and forward to make an aspect to another planet, then you want to be aware of what house is that other planet in, because it will involve those house matters. What is the nature of the planet itself? 
In my case, I was just talking about Venus in my 10th house, which predicts a career in the arts. Or I have Venus in Scorpio, so you've got two ways to go here. Venus is the arts, all of them, particularly music and, the, and art. But it's in Scorpio, which is a sign of metaphysics and spiritual work. That's been my entire life. Those are, that's my career. Now, I have Uranus, which rules television, among other things. I have it in Gemini, the communications written and spoken in my sixth house of work. What kind of work does this guy do? Well, it's something Uranian. So if I'm moving my midheaven backward and forward, and I see an aspect, let's say my midheaven is a 28 Libra, an air sign. Well, if I move it backwards to 13 Libra, it will exactly trine that Uranus in my sixth house. If you can follow this mental picture, my sixth house of work. So at age 15, because from 28 to Uranus's degree is 13, excuse me, is 15 degrees, 28 to 13 is 15. So at age 15, I should have had some kind of Uranus in Gemini retrograde in my sixth house experience. Well, the sixth house rules work. And at age 15, I was <laughs> performing as a magician, a professional magician. I have sun conjunct Neptune, but I'm getting paid for it. And I was also, uh, I had a, a paper route, which involved my having a little moped, which is very much a mechanical device like Uranus and Gemini would indicate in the sixth house. So you would ask, you would say to the, 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 the client, at age 15, was this going on around work? And you would ask a question according to, say, Uranus and Gemini. In my case, it was a newspaper route, which got me up very early every morning and ride, riding around Pine Bluff, Arkansas, throwing newspapers out the crack of dawn. But I was working. I got my Social Security card at 12. So anyway, that's how you do it. So uh, it, it depends on the, uh, the planet that that midheaven is aspecting and also what houses that planet rules in the chart. In my case, for example, Uranus rules my second house of money, of income. I started making a living. I got my social security card at, at 13, 12, actually. And I had two jobs. So I've had a social security card since then. And I love to work. And Uranus also rules astrology. And guess what? <laughs> Thought you would never say it. <laughs> yeah, it does. So there you go. All right, let me ask you this. I'm going to give you a personal example and tell me if I'm on the right track here. Very formative event in my life happened at age nine. I went over the handlebars of a bicycle that I had just been given for Christmas, had a front brake on it. So I clamped down on that brake too tightly. The front wheel locked. Over I go into a curb, knocked a tooth out, knocked me out for probably 10 or 15 minutes. Mm. And that event, I think, certainly hit me neurologically uh, hard, but uh, also physiologically. And then it came back on me when I was in my 30s when that some of that damage had to be repaired. It never showed up in the midheaven. So like there's no way that I can get to nine in my chart. But if I go over to the ascendant and I look at the difference between my ascendant and my sun, and also I have Mars and Neptune right there together with the sun, if I go over and look at that, it is exactly 
9 and even a quarter degrees exactly the time frame so can this work with the ascendant as well it can i have to this is such a an essential point that you raise here the midheaven moving it backward and forward this way to rectify a chart is not going to show you every significant event in your life it won't but the ones it does show should be accurate you're going to find those other events elsewhere in the horoscope, but not necessarily. through. So people, I think, when they begin to use this, well, this big thing happened to me when I was 15, and it doesn't show up through the mid-heaven. No, it won't. It may show up other ways, but not everything. And the reason you use the mid-heaven is because, again, that degree is actually what determines your ascendant. The mid-heaven degree will be true for anybody born on that longitude on earth at that time of day the midheaven will be but the ascendant for that location will vary according to the latitude where they're born so in fact in calculations nobody hand hand calculates a chart anymore including me i couldn't do it if my life depended on it. i've used computers so long but in fact it is the first thing that the uh, you determine through the ephemeris and the tables of houses and time corrections, all those things we used to use, is the midheaven point. Because And then you look up in the tables of longitude and latitudes to find the ascendant for that uh, place of birth. So the ascendant is dependent on the midheaven, in essence, in terms of... So that's why you use the midheaven one degree backwards and forwards. But you're absolutely right. Other things will show up through that ascendant or even through uh, transits to a particular planet or solar arcs to a planet. So not every event like your accident will show up. But, you know, Thomas, it's interesting because when I was 26 years old, I was involved in a car accident, which I should have died, actually, and would have died if I'd had on seatbelts. But they didn't make them in those days. It was 1972. And I was a passenger in a car that that got hit on my side and started rolling over into two oncoming lanes of traffic doing 45 miles an hour. And I remember it very clearly is, oh, here's where I die. And there wasn't a split seconds of fear, nothing. Just the car started rolling over. It was dusk into this oncoming, these headlights. And suddenly I was 30 feet up over the car watching all of this, watching the car roll over and right itself, watching three men come out from a filling station across Topanga Canyon Boulevard, stop traffic. Help us out of the car. I saw them open the car door for, for uh, uh, God, what was his name? I can't think of it. Uh, big, tall, string bean guy. And they. And then I, I heard him say, Bob, Bob, are you okay? And I opened my eyes. And I'd been thrown in the back of his Volkswagen station wagon. And as they pushed this car back across Topanga Canyon into this filling station, I looked at the car and the roof over where I'd been sit, sitting had crushed into the passenger seat. So I would have been killed if I had, and oh, Mark, that was his name because we're standing there. And I looked up at Mark and I said, Mark, I can't believe this. I was watching all of this from up over the car. And he, his jaw dropped literally Thomas. He looked down at me and said, oh, so was I. Well, I realized in retrospect that even though I was not injured, I am convinced that it twisted my spine just fractionally enough, just the shock of it, that opened up some channels that I don't think were open 
before then, because during the next 12 months, I had four more out-of-body experiences, each one completely different, each one incredible. Never had them since. But it taught me about death. And I think your accident to the head probably opened up some neurological channels in you that might not have otherwise been open, perhaps. That is amazing. Very interesting. So yours was a head injury as well. It was no injury. That was the remarkable thing. Mark, about uh, several days later, said, I want you to come with me to my attorney. Well, he had an attorney in Century City. And so Mark and I go out there, and the guy's view overlooked the Pacific, you know, from Century City, incredible view, one of these high rises. And basically, he said, well, now, are you injured? And I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, you don't know. The lawyer, you don't know. You may have whiplash and not even be aware of it. Well, I don't feel anything. He said, well, let me hand you a card, Bob. I would suggest you go to this physician and get an examination. And then he says, Thomas, basically, Bob, if you don't hurt, I can't help you. (laughs) There's a case in here somewhere. I'm going to find it. (laughs) And so as a result of this non-injurious accident, I got $2,000. Ah. Wow. And was happy to have it. Yeah, back then, that was, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's something yeah. else. Did that yeah. show up in your chart? Oh, you bet. How? Oh, God, you bet. Oh, my God. My birth chart, I mentioned to you, Uranus in Gemini retrograde in my sixth house of health. Gemini is the, the neurological system, the synapses, the connections, all of, all of that. It's also cars, third house, third sign, Gemini, cars, transportation in the sixth house, Uranus of accidents. Now, Uranus is at 13 degrees. 13 degrees is when I started my paper route and got my moped and got my social security card, age 13. Multiply that planet's natal degree by two and you get age 26 which is this accident Wow! that I had. And that trines my son in my ninth house, which is the whole metaphysical, astrological, spiritual side of me. Now, also in that house, Thomas, I'll just tell you, I have Mercury and, and Jupiter both in Virgo, which is a completely skeptical sign. And I have always been a skeptic. I still am a skeptic. Show me prove it to me and so with astrology i used to be skeptical about it of course i'm no longer but i was skeptical enough that i kept having to prove it to try it to prove it to see does it work does it work does it work and i would get questions from other people other astrologers i remember one uh, jim eshelman great guy and he and his his girlfriend his lady friend were uh, i spent the night over at their house when I, we were doing a ritual of some kind and, and he got out a couple of horoscopes And he said, take a look at these. One of these twins has, I don't know, some health condition, and the other one doesn't. Can you tell me which one it is? And I said, sure, that one. And he looked at his girlfriend, and they looked at me and said, how how did you do that? And I said, well, look, this this one's mercury is closer to the midheaven making this aspect than the other one. So this has to be the one. You told me already that one of these twins has the condition, the other one doesn't. So I knew that. So it has to be the one with the closest aspect with involving this planet was Mercury and the nervous system, the nerves. So over and over and over, 
skeptically trying this stuff out. I've, I've seen it work. I could tell you one other story that's an embarrassing story about myself, and it taught me something to never, ever, ever, ever do again. But it's along these lines. What's that? I was reading for a guy. I was probably 26 or so, and so was he. And I was over at his place. His wife was in the hospital giving birth to their first baby. She hadn't had it yet. And during the reading, I said to him, are you aware that this might not be your baby? And thank God, he said, yeah, we know, but we want to have it anyway. Thomas, when I got out of there, I felt like the lowest worm on earth. I thought, Bob, don't you ever do something like that again. All you were doing was showing off. If you had been wrong, that question would have poisoned that man's marriage and that maybe subconsciously forever. Thank God you were right. And they already knew it, so it didn't do any damage. But don't you ever do that again. You see what I mean, Thomas? So you yeah. learn. Yeah, you for learn. sure. How far yeah. do you how far do you allow it to go? What's but beneficial? He, I think you have to stay in the space of what's beneficial in this moment for this person. Well, again, though, even that horrible mistake on my part was accurate. Yeah. So I, it's just over and over and over again for 57 years. I keep seeing. And, of course, today I don't give it a thought. When I'm faced with a, a major decision, buying a car, for example, uh, which car to buy or should I lease the car or buy the car, those kinds of decisions, all I do, I have a, a program on my iPhone called Ephemeris, and I mean, in one second, I have a horoscope wheel for where I am at that moment, and I can instantly make a decision. Yeah, this chart says, yeah, take advantage of this offer, and you don't want to lease this car. You want to buy this car, and I go down, and that's exactly what happens. They first, because I had been leasing the car, they put me in a new one for like nothing down. And I've got the new car and they give me the paperwork and it's, it's some kind of special lease for preferred customers. And then I go into the finance guy and he says to me, he's looking at the papers over. He says, why are you, why are you leasing this car? Let me ask you about your driving habits. And he does. And he says, you don't want to lease this. You want to buy this. He's just telling me what I already knew from astrology. So it works that way. At this point, I don't even question it anymore. I did because I'm so fast. I've done it for so long. I can look at a, an worry like that for myself and go, oh, sure. oh don't do this. Or, yeah, do it. What, is that, what does it say to you? How do you, after seeing so many examples of this over and over and over, what does that say to you about the connection between our lives and the sky? That's it, Thomas. Ultimately, underneath all of this, it says that we and the solar system are the same thing, just on a different scale. There are physical and there are non-physical and pre-physical realities. For example, E equals MC squared is a pre-physical reality. That equation existed with the Big Bang. It underlines all of physical reality. Einstein came along and discovered it later, but he didn't invent it. It was always there. 
But energy equals mass times the speed of light squared underlies all physical manifestations. It's one of the things. So it's a pre-physical reality. It applies to planets and their orbits around our star, the sun, the life force, the thing that gives all of this life, the sun. So our solar system is one of billions throughout the known universe and also the whatever, 11 or 14 parallel universes that are now posited by science. So it's astonishing that the planetary cycles, the seasons of the year, for example, absolutely do correlate to times to plant, times to harvest, and so on. And that's been observed and recorded since the, for the last 12,500 years, according to this carbon-dated bone calendar, this lunar bone calendar that we have found. So that's, that's what it's saying. Astonishingly enough is that, now look, uh, these out-of-body experiences that I had, I had one um, where I begin to uh to just rise up over los angeles in the in the night and i was not asleep these are completely different from dreams and i was rising very fast and looking looking down at at los angeles receding and then the earth receding and i was in space which is in it's the only one of the out of body experiences i had that even came close to being frightening and it wasn't really frightening it was just awe inspiring because to be hurtling at some incredible speed through a black void i became incredibly aware of how infinitesimally small i was how nothing a grain of sand hurtling through space and i gradually became aware that i was hurtling towards some immense ancient object in space huge and rotating on its side its axis was pointing toward me and I knew instantly that has to be Uranus because it's the only planet that has that axial tilt of all the planets. And all I can remember, Thomas, was the entire conscious and visceral feeling of ancientness, if that makes it. This thing, this planet, this object was so ancient. And that's what took me into a kind of awe-like state. I've never felt anything like that before. And instantly, I was back in my body in bed. Wow. Goodness. The first time, the first one of these I had, Thomas, after that accident, I had not been injured, but I was lying in bed. And I was just relaxing from my feet up, you know how you do, relax the ankles and the knees, all the way up the body. <clears throat> And my arms were on top of the blankets, and I felt my ears start to shut off, like you're going into the mountains. And it kind of unnerved me, but I heard myself say, just go with this. And then I became aware I was barely breathing, and that unnerved me. But I kept hearing myself say, go with this, go relax, just go. And then I felt myself sit up in bed, and I leaned forward to try and turn on 
a table lamp that was on a table at the foot of the bed, but I couldn't do it. But I could still feel my arms on top of the blankets, even though I'm trying to turn on this lamp. And then I got out of bed. I could feel the carpet on my bare feet. I walked over to the bedroom door that led down the hallway. And in the doorway, I turned around and looked at myself in bed, my body. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm out of my body. And I went into the kitchen, and I'm trying to turn the wall switch on to turn on the lights, and I couldn't do that. And I instantly popped back into my body in bed. And the first thing that went through my head was, is that what death is? And I heard, that's all it is. It's just not physical. Well, when I coupled that with the experience during the actual car accident, where I was instantly 30 feet up over the car, I thought, so that is what death is. It's just not physical. And then years later to read in one of the Seth books, Jane Roberts Seth books, where Seth says, you are as dead now as you will ever be. Think about it. You are as dead right now as you are ever going to be. And it's true. There's not one cell in our bodies today that was there seven years ago. Not one cell, not one tissue, not one organ. But we're completely unaware of it. Cells and organs and tissues are dying within us every second and being replaced by new ones every second. So every seven years, there's not one cell in your body that was there seven years ago. So you're constantly dying and being reborn. You're just not aware of it. And that's reflected in these planetary cycles, the new moon, birth, the full moon, realization, the third quarter moon, culmination, and the old moon, the waning moon, death. But immediately it's preceded by a new moon again. It never ends. Yeah, the cycle continues. This style of astrology that you've put together, do you see it in other places? Well, I don't know, Thomas, because I don't go to other astrologers. Well, that's a good way to go at it. <laughs> I haven't, I and I don't know. I'm kind of the same way. There might be people out there say, oh, yes, I practice this all the time. But it seems to me almost to be a form of a lost art, and that's why I'm so glad that you're willing to pass this on and let the torch fall in other hands so that people can learn this from you. Well, I think, Thomas, that everybody has their own approach to all this. You know, in years ago in Los Angeles, they were seriously considering passing a law to license fortune tellers, and they were going to lump us. And there was all this big brouhaha about it. Uh, I didn't care either way, because I don't really care. If someone is drawn to this, uh, they will get as much out of it as they themselves wish to. And they they may never be anything more than a, a kind of lighthearted sun sign astrologer. And that's fine, because I believe the minute somebody becomes interested in this type of thing and they start reading about it or studying it a little bit or trying it even better, like me, they're going to say, wait a minute, there really is something to this. Even though everybody has told us there isn't, there really is. 
And they will go on with their life. If they do readings, they will draw the kinds of clients to them that they're right for. It may be amateur hour. It may be BS fortune telling. I don't care. If they come to me, they're going to get something a little different. And I think it's probably true for everybody. And there's room for everybody here. But to me, it has always been a tool for self-understanding and mainly self-fulfillment. You know, when I saw a transit coming up in my own chart, a once-in-a-lifetime Pluto transit, you'll know what that means, going over my Venus in my 10th house, my career, I thought, what do I want to do with this? Well, I had been publishing 250,000 words a year for American Astrology Magazine at that point, and I thought, gee, I'd like to write for television under this transit. Well, one of my clients was a William Morris agent. And I asked her, if I ever get a gig, would you represent me? And she's, well, I only handle actors, but I could sure put you with somebody who could. And then another client of mine, <laughs> an actress, said, here's how you're getting in. I said, what do you mean? Well, my fiance has got a show at Universal for NBC. He needs a rewrite on the pilot. I'm going to introduce you to him. He's going to hire you to do the rewrite. He's going to love it. And you're going to be on the series. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. Oh, my gosh. But you see, by the time that happened, Thomas, I didn't sit around on my behind waiting for somebody to phone me and tell me I had a job as a screenwriter. I had taken courses. And one of my long-term clients and friends was a woman uh, named Joan Tewksbury, who had written the movie Nashville. And I wrote a script on spec once and took it out to her. And God love her. She spent three or four hours with me going over that page, starting for uh, that script from page one. It was like a, a seminar on screenwriting with her. But I was ready when the when the opportunity came, you see. So and that was exactly what happened. I wound up, wound up writing for television for 15 years. At the same time, I'm still doing astrology. I was not teaching classes so much anymore because I didn't have the time to. But I was still doing readings. Um, you led right into the next question that I was going to ask is, are you still available for readings? You bet. And you how, bet would people, how would people get in contact? The easiest way is just to go to Google and type Robert Glasscock Astrology or Astrologer, and it'll take you to my website, I think. And what is that URL? It's here? very simple. It's rglasscock, the number four, site, S-I-G-H-T. Com. So it's rglasscockforesight.com with the number four. Excellent. And then the other thing that I would imagine people are asking is, well, where can I learn more from you? Well, I really love Kepler College. They invited me about nine or ten years ago. And I, I, knew, I knew they've been around for, gosh, 30 years now, I guess. Um, a woman named Karen McCauley, who I knew very well through Aquarius Workshops in Los Angeles, she was part of that. She had moved up to, um, I think, Seattle, and that's where Kepler is. And she contacted me to see if I might be interested in teaching there. And I looked at the website. I sat in on a few classes and said I would love to. They Kepler College, Thomas, has, I think, more and more varied courses all year long than any other astrology school in the world, frankly. Nobody has 
the volume of work that they do. Some of the workshops are free, some are paid, some are one shots, some are three hours long, some are practicums like you have been in before. Um, uh, they're just on every conceivable topic. And for new astrologers who want to maybe begin to share what they know or share some of their insights, Kepler is a great venue for a new astrologer to make a presentation in PowerPoint and begin to spread their wings in that direction, too. So uh, I'm very grateful that they invited me to um, to teach, and I've been teaching with them for the last, whatever it is, 11, 12 years now. So what I know of that's available, a couple of workshops on Kepler. And again, the easiest way to find these is really to just Google Robert Glasscock Kepler Workshop, and you'll get right to these. Ah, okay. One is the Solar Arc class you did back in late 2017. That's still available for sale. And then the one you also did recently on Return to the Flesh, which is how reincarnation or how our past lives show up in the chart. That workshop, both of them three hours, are both available. Yeah, yeah. And then you do the ongoing practicums, which are these five-week exercises of group exercises. Those recordings are not available because basically they're, in essence, private sessions. Right, especially one of them, the orary workshops. And they call them practicums for a reason. That's where we get to practice. So uh, – I like to, to let the students or make the students do the, do a lot of work. And then I take them, try and take them beyond what they already know and what they, but it's, it's students reading charts. It's a great place to practice. It's a, a private environment. Nobody cares if you make a mistake or if you're wrong. It's not about that. It's just about getting confident and comfortable reading a, a horoscope, any kind of horoscope. So those are the practicums. All right. Excellent. And then we have plans for some things around here, too. But of course, the podcasts are going to be ongoing and this kind of learning and knowledge is going to be available here for you to access on the podcast as well. Wow. You kind of blew us away here, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. If that's true, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's just a real pleasure to do this because you're knowledgeable And you're a very good astrologer, as you know, but I will tell your listeners if they don't know. uh, I've been very impressed with what you do in these practicums. And and you're the kind of person I seem to draw, Thomas. I get people who are serious about it and smart, and they put the work in. They they know what they're doing. And um, I'm very lucky to have these kinds of, of students like you. Well, it's a great community, and thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again with another episode of Old Soul, New Soul with Robert Glasscock. 